But how do you get a, a, a kid who's 18 to say, I want to sign up for 200 grand in debt? Um, it, it, it makes no sense. But the only way you can make it make sense is if you can say, well, if, if you get this degree, you'll get that job, which means you'll get that salary. So then that salary is the return on the investment, the ROI. And so students will um, sign up for significant debt if they believe that their degree gets them that job. But in order to make that work, schools have to um, deeply connect their degree to a particular job. The problem is that when you go out into the actual workforce, you realize that's a complete farce. That, that um, you know, um, think about your job right that you have right now. Do you have the degree for this? No. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, my degree, my undergraduate degree is education chemistry. I'm the president of liberal arts college. You go around, you ask almost anybody, what's the main set of skills that you work in now? What's the name of your undergraduate degree? They almost never line up, but they, everybody always thinks they're the weird one. They think that most other people have a job that they were qualified for by a degree. That's not how the real world actually works. Howdy, everyone, and welcome back to Moment of Truth, the podcast of American Moment. My name is Nick Solheim. I'm the COO of American Moment, and we are back with another great episode this week. Uh, we have Dr. Ben Merkel, the president of New St. Andrews College out in Moscow, Idaho, in studio today. But first, before we get to that, uh, just want to make sure to highlight a couple things that are very important to American Moment. You can go to AmericanMoment.org uh, to check out everything about all of our programming, what we believe, why we believe it, um, and potentially get involved if you're looking to get a job or an internship in D.C., we have a form on there. It's americamoment.org slash join. If you fill that out, a member of our team will be in touch with you to set up a meeting uh, and we can find a way to get you plugged into DC. Um, you can go to americamoment.org slash amcanon to see the books, uh, podcasts, videos, uh, articles, etc. that have most influenced the people that work here at American Moment and help to uh, guide your ideological uh, foundation. So make sure to go check those things out. Uh, we had Dr. Ben Merkel in studio today uh, to talk about the state of higher education uh, and New St. Andrews College, which he is the president of. Um, New St. Andrews, fantastic uh, school out in Idaho. We actually had two of their students out here as uh, fellows for American Statecraft this summer. They were both fantastic. Um, so we, we highly recommend this school. We, we really enjoy uh, working with them and having their students in our programming. Um, we, we covered, man, it feels like everything under the sun. You know, why women are more uh, likely to pursue higher education degrees uh, the state of higher education generally, the collapse of uh, Christian higher education and why tuition is going so high. It was it was really a banger of an episode. Uh, so Dr. Ben Merkel is the president of New St. Andrews College, as well as a senior fellow of theology. He holds a DPhil in Oriental Studies and, M and an MST in Jewish Studies from Oxford University in England, and a master's degree in English literature, a Greyfriars letter, and a uh, bachelor's in education, uh, both from the University of Idaho. He is a teaching elder at Christ Church Moscow, regularly preaching at their downtown service. He and his wife, Rebecca, have five children. We will go now to Dr. Ben Merkel. 
Dr. Merkel. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So you know how we like to start the show. Uh, who is the illustrious Dr. Merkel? How did you get where you are today? What are you doing now? Wow, it's a, it's a long and winding <laughs> path. Uh, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm the president of New St. Andrews College, uh, private Christian liberal arts college in Moscow, Idaho. Um, we're a teeny little school that we serve as kind of the next step for a lot of people coming out of the classical K-12 movement. Um, I um, never would have predicted that I would have ended up with a job like that. Um, you know, I'm from Boise, uh, graduated from public school, went up to the University of Idaho, but um, uh, came from an evangelical family. But as many evangelical kids experienced, came to college and realized my faith was not what was needed for um enduring college life and it was uh campus crusade came along at the right moment and um straightened me out with regard to my conviction regarding the gospel faithfulness things like that but i think for me one of the things i realized is that my besetting sin was just laziness and i needed to learn how to work hard and um and so academics would not have been a place that i originally i would have felt drawn to, but I felt more out of like a desire for discipline. I gave myself to learning and then initially started, uh, my undergraduate was uh, chemistry uh, education. And um, then, um, but during that time, I started to have more and more interest in ministry and the life of the mind and where those two intersect. So I did, um, I was, I studied to be a pastor. I went through the pastoral training program at Christ Church called uh, Grayfires. I was in the very first class. At this point, I was married, my wife, Becca, um, and started having kids. And um, But as I was giving myself to ministry, you know, my first job was actually doing evangelism on the University of Idaho campus. But I found that, um, honestly, in the classroom with of a Christian college, in the liberal arts curriculum, I had the ability to shape um, lives with the gospel in a way that was profound and far outpaced what I was doing with anywhere, anywhere else in my ministry. So I really felt like this is what God is calling me and um, gave myself to uh, teaching at NSA and, um, and then decided if I'm going to do that, then I need the appropriate degree. So I ended up with um, first a master's in English Lit at University of Idaho and then um, did a second master's in Jewish Studies at Oxford and did my doctorate at Oxford as well. And then came back um, still kept a foot in the church. So I'm, I'm to this day, I'm still a, a minister at Christ Church. I preach one of our services, but my full-time gig is NSA. So became president a little over eight years ago. And, um, and, and so when I came back from Oxford, I continued teaching, but really um, felt the draw of administration more and more, the dark side of the school leadership um, <laughs> admin. But I, I really... Um, I really have enjoyed thinking and strategizing about how to build this program and to do something to America with with this um, this you know pipeline of young students who've been molded in this really really um, interesting way. Um, be able to lead that has just been an incredible privilege and has and I, I I my wife and I joke about how it feels like. God was drunk driving with my life because <laughs> I never would have thought this is where I would end up. But as I, um, as I stepped into this job, I felt like everything came together. I understood this is what I was made for. I love this work. Yeah. So how did you go from, I feel like University of Idaho to Oxford is like kind of a heterodox yeah. uh, journey. Yeah. How, 
how does that happen to a, a person? <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. And particularly with somebody like I, I wasn't a I wasn't a strong student early on, but it was my um, um, it was really my my faith that made me start to really take my mind seriously. Um, I, I still remember reading a book by um, Kent Hughes called Disciplines of a Godly Man, and this was kind of at that moment where I'm just trying to learn how to be a faithful Christian. And it was all, um, it was a really profound, it was profound in that it came to me at the exact moment I needed it. Cause it was just walking through things like confess your sin, read your Bible, pray, you know, just the very basics. And so I found that really helpful. But at the end, he has this appendix where he, um, he interviewed, you know, 20 of the leading evangelicals of the time. So at this time it's like R.C. Sproul and a bunch of guys like that. Mm-hmm. And he asked them, um, give me your top five books. And I thought that was such a weird question to ask somebody because I was not a book person. I didn't like books, whatever. Um, but it, what, it was weird that he asked it. But then what was really weird was every single person he asked seemed to have a very clear list of texts that they would say. And, and you suddenly got this, um, this idea that there is this stack of books out there that are different from the rest that the great minds and great leaders are drawn to them and want to be informed by them. That really blew me away. And so I started just kind of reading. Um, I started working through the list that everybody, you know, like everybody had brothers Karamazov. Um, hmm. There were a lot of Russian <laughs> authors, you yeah. know, it, there was uh, Dostoevsky and Tolstoy were both on it. So I remember at the end of college, I had this weird Russian author phase. I was still in it when we got married, I made my wife get through some Dostoevsky with me, but it was be- just because I was trying to be like, I want to have a mind like these kinds of men because they were, they were great men, but I didn't realize that um, being literate was a huge part of that. So as I started to give myself to that, I started to really come alive with um, seeing the application of scripture to literature, to the world, to leadership, to being something, um, something God would have me be. Um, I still remember the first time I read a Francis Schaeffer book. It was um, Escape from Reason, which was, teeny little book that's embarrassing now when I say it, but I remember reading that and rereading each page five, six times because I could not understand it. And I would have to go so slow over sentence by sentence to try to like make sense of it. Now I look back and it's like, it was pretty basic stuff. But um, as that started to come alive, it really, it really um, shifted my focus. So um, I, I first started, my first graduate degree was in English Lit at the University of Idaho. And this is when I was still a, um, a part-time minister. And um, there, was a, there was a guy I was actually um, lifting weights with. And I was spent a lot of time in the gym at this point. There was a guy I was lifting weights with, and he wanted to lift weights in the University of Idaho gym, and, which you had to be a student in order to be in that gym. And I had this way of explaining to my wife how if I took one class, the finances somehow it was like, you know, basically a wash for a gym membership elsewhere. Probably wasn't, but I, I made the <laughs> argument work. Anyhow, so I took this class um, and um, originally I can't remember what class I signed up for, but then um, a guy who was in a Bible study I was leading said, take this class on Chaucer with me. And I remember just thinking that just sounded really dorky. Um, yeah. I, I still was not um, that much of a lit person. But I did, I took the class. Um, he said, well, we can sit at the back and make, thing of, make fun of the English majors together. And <laughs> I thought, well, that sounds like a noble, a noble uh, cause. 
So I take this class with him. Uh, the teacher was former Army Airborne, comes in, and I'd actually done um, Marine Corps. I was in the reserves. I was on a tank crew. And so this guy comes in and just lights the class up, swearing, throwing people out of the class. It was like the most intense, rigorous class on poetry, like <laughs> which, which I thought was just weird, but it was I would just came alive with that class. So what happened was every time that guy offered a class, I would just take whatever class he offered. And initially it was still for the gym, but after a while it was like I finally had to admit, like, I kind of like poetry, which was <laughs> tough conversation. I like poetry and lifting weights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tough conversation to have with your friends. Um, anyhow, so uh, after I had done this for a while, he told me, if you're going to keep doing this, you might as well get a master's out of it. So I said, sure. So I ended up with an, a master's degree in English literature. Um, my thesis was a translation of um, Alfred the Great did, um, a translation of Augustine's soliloquies from Latin into Anglo-Saxon. So I translated it from Anglo-Saxon into modern English and did a commentary. And that was kind of like, I was just really getting interested in these kinds of research projects. Um, th and so by then I was like, okay, I really do want to do um, academic leadership. And um, so I, I decided to swing for the fence. You know, you normally you apply for like eight to 10 graduate degrees. I applied for Oxford. That was the only mm -hmm. one I did. I applied to Oxford. Um, but I applied for a one-year master's degree that was it, was, it was a degree that was about helping people that are in kind of a transition, like introduce you to Jewish studies. I was really intrigued by it because it would allow me to, I was really getting into Hebrew at this point, and it would allow me to dive into Hebrew. But I also thought a guy from University of Idaho cannot apply for the doctorate there. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. But if I did this master's I thought I could get into that and then apply for the doctorate from there because the people who would, you know, receive my application for the doctorate would be my teachers. So it was a, it was, we kind of put all the chips on the table because we sold our house. We sold everything. By this time I had five kids, mm. we sold everything and we moved to Oxford and it was all on the gamble that I'll be able to um, do well enough that they'll accept me for the doctorate. And so um, God was kind. And um, we get into the master's, I got accepted the doctorate, and, um, and we were there for three years and then came back, and that's when I converted to administration at NSA. <laughs> so how did, that, how did that happen? How did you end up at NSA? Uh, um, at NSA in general, or? At, uh, as the president oh, of yeah. NSA. Well, I, um, shortly after I came back, I was the um, director of student affairs, and then there was some rearrangement, and they needed, uh, and, and I was then appointed as the academic dean. I was dean for three or four years, and, um, and then that's when our founding president uh, retired, and, um, and so they opened up that position. There was a search, and this is why I say, like, there was, there was a... God was drunk driving with my life because I had thought I wanted to be in ministry. So I still did a lot of preaching and I was very engaged with the church. Um, I had been the executive minister for our church, so I had executive leadership skills. Um, but my desire was the school and I'd gotten my doctorate from Oxford. So I had the academic credentials and all of that. Um, so suddenly, yeah, I, I have the academic credentials experience. I have um, administrative executive experience and I can step in and preach, and um, which is what college presidents do. They travel, and they go, and they speak. And all of that just kind of came together. It was, mm -hmm. it was um, as if God had a plan. So. Yeah. So um, NSA is, a, I think, the most fascinating 
university I've ever come across. Um, and we talk to a lot of universities. We take in a lot of students for our programming. Um, what is so special about New St. Andrews College between the curriculum, the kinds of students you accept, et cetera? Yeah, yeah there's, um, you know, I, I'm extremely fortunate to have stepped into this position because of the way I'm, I'm really standing on the shoulders of some men who built something impressive. Um, you know, in the early years of NSA, there, there was not a lot of, um, not a lot of glory or glamor, but there were a lot of Im- really important principles that were established. Um, one is that NSA is one of the few schools that says no to all federal money. And this mm-hmm. idea that we don't want to have any strings attached to us. We don't want to saddle our students with debt that way. So um, no federal money. Um, and and that right there all of a sudden kind of makes you into the kind of person, the kind of institution that starts to not care about having to fit into other people's um, sort of pre-perforated paths that the, yeah. um, colleges tend to go along. Well, and um, it also makes you have to like actually develop a good product. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I do think keep, we are a school that um, we are tuned to the price signals of the free market, which I think is really, really important. And I think many schools have removed themselves from that because of their dependence on federal money. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't actually um, produce a product that is worth that money. And, um, and nobody notices until years later when you're going, wow, I'm still paying on this, on this yeah. debt. Um, and it also, it just it allows you to just ramp up your tuition and, um, and not make the hard decisions about what things really need to be funded and what needs to be cut. Mm-hmm. So I think that has been really um, important for us. Um, NSA is, um, distinctive in that we, in our undergraduate program, we do have a couple different graduate degrees that are more specialized or focused, but at the undergraduate level, we have one undergraduate degree just in liberal arts and culture. And, um, that's really on purpose. I think the professionalization of the college degree has really warped people's understanding of what an education is and what it can and can't do. And so we have this general liberal arts degree, um, uh, we are, you know, Moscow is kind of, we're in Moscow, Idaho, and Moscow is kind of like ground zero for classical Christian education. Uh, Logos School was started there in 1980 at the very beginning of the classical movement. Uh, Doug Wilson, who started Logos School, also started New St. Andrews. Um, Doug wrote the book, Recovering Lost Schools of Learning, uh, in I think 1990, which um, really kind of solidified the classical movement that was taking off at that time. Um, so <coughs> we we are in this position where we're kind of a next step for a lot of the students that are getting that classical K to 12 education. And then I think the other thing that's really distinctive about NSA is we are, um, you know, we're this small uh, conservative liberal arts college, but we're very distinctively and robustly um, uh, evangelical Protestant. We're a reformed school reformed theologically, but the, I don't know, the Christian convictions, I think, are more on display at NSA than you tend to get at most other schools. We're very um, clear about things like um, sanctity of human life, you know, our stance on abortion, uh, definition of marriage. What is a man? What is a woman? We don't have a problem with saying it into the microphone, being really clear on that. But then at the same time, understanding that these aren't just um, uh, these aren't just like convictions that we have as good old boys. 
these are actually distinctives that flow out of scripture and our ultimate our ultimate um, commitment is to scripture. We try to make that really clear, understanding it's really the gospel that gives life to all of this. And I think um, that, um, I, I, and I think that it's created this kind of community around NSA that is just really unlike anything you see elsewhere. Like when students yeah. show up, there's a enculturation in the community that I think is just really exceptional. Yeah, we had a, we were blessed to have two of your students as fellows this summer, mm. um, and it could not be any more obvious from their conduct and their work ethic that you guys are doing huh. something absolutely incredible. That's good like they, 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 they were uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, I think one of the things with higher education now um, is that for, for the curriculum, usually, you know, you have your two years of generals, so you do, you know, your English, your uh, math for liberal arts, which... I failed three times when I was in school. Um, and uh, you have those introductories. And then when you go in and, and do your actual major, you have, you know, your accounting 1001, mm -hmm. uh, accounting 2001, and, and, and so on. What is so different about the kind of curriculum that NSA uses that, that, that changes the way your students turn out? Yeah. Well, in one sense... Um you know, we're not so different. We are trying to give what has been the classical liberal arts education that has been developed over centuries and centuries and centuries in the Christian West. So um, we're not the experiment in one sense. Mm -hmm. We're trying to recover what what um, this incredible heritage that we have. Um, what has happened has been this complete change of what an education is about, where, um, and it is those that, professionalized accounting, whatever, um, courses where the college degree has become basically your professional certification. Um, mm -hmm. You need this degree to do that job. And I want to be careful because I think that there's there are places where that's appropriate. Um, I think that, you know, nursing, engineering, there are certain things that you need to have in that undergraduate degree necessary for that job. So I understand that in certain places. But that model has been pushed out across all college education, where every education is supposed to be an education to perform those skills. And so you've got this job, and the name of that job is in your degree. And 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 it's there's there's a there's a pee and thimble that happens here because what you see is there's this um, expectation that this degree equals that job, and you get it all the way back in the recruiter's office when you're like a high school junior or senior and you show up to the college recruiter and he'll, he'll give you this piece of paper that has a list of all the different jobs that are out there and the annual salaries for everybody in that job. And then over here, you've got the degree that gets you that job. And, um, and the idea is that if you get this degree, you'll get that job, which means you'll get that salary. And, and I, I should back up here because this is actually connected to the whole federal money thing, because there is this um, like, College tuition is massively inflated, you know, mm -hmm. uh, annual tuition of 45, 50 grand um, is not abnormal. How do you get a college student to or a, a high school student to sign up for that kind of um, payment? Well, only way they can do it is if they take out massive student debt. But how do you get a, a, a kid who's 18 to say, I want to sign up for 200 grand in debt? Um, it, it, it makes no sense. But the only way you can make it make sense is if you can say, well, if 
If you get this degree, you'll get that job, which means you'll get that salary. So then that salary is the return on the investment, the ROI. And so students will um, sign up for significant debt if they believe that their degree gets them that job. But in order to make that work, schools have to um, deeply connect their degree to a particular job. The problem is that when you go out into the actual workforce, you realize that's a complete farce. That, that um, you know, um, think about your job right, that you have right now. Do you have the degree for this? No. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, my degree, my undergraduate degree is education chemistry. I'm the president of liberal arts college. You go around, you ask almost anybody, what's the main set of skills that you work in now? What's the name of your undergraduate degree? They almost never line up, but they everybody always thinks they're the weird one. They think that most other people have a job that they were qualified for by a degree. That's not how the real world actually works. Colleges, I don't think, do a good job of training people for professions. What colleges, what education does a good job of is enculturating people. And what's happened is we've been distracted by this idea that I need that degree to get this job. And, and what we've been distracted from is the fact that actually that degree is at an institution that is enculturating me in a very deceptive and destructive um, path. And, um, and I think Christians miss, miss that that's what's going on. So all that is kind of a long roundabout way to come back to like, what is NSA trying to do? What we're trying to do is two things. Basically, we want to um, create the skills, the intellectual skills, not that go to that one particular job, but they could go to a variety of jobs because I think the job, um, the job force is always changing and you're going to switch careers laterally many times over as you find out what you really want to do. You don't need at 18 to decide, I will be this for life. Mm -hmm. What you need to do is broadly educated, become the kind of person who can think critically, communicate clearly and persuasively, work hard, be able to teach yourself. Those kinds of skills, those are the things that the workforce mostly needs. So we're taking a liberal arts curriculum to create those um, skills, which is what the liberal arts curriculum was classically developed in order to do. So we're trying to use it the way it was intended to be used. And then the second thing is, we want to enculturate them deeply in Christian faithfulness, give them a sense of like, this is the, you know, this is the world that God made. This is my place in it. This mm -hmm. is what obedience looks like. And I love that. So that's what we're trying to produce with that curriculum. And what is uh, your average, you know, applicant or, or ultimate student uh, look like? And what do they go on to do after yeah. they graduate? Um. I'm sure it's hard to find an average, but, yeah, but yeah. just generally speaking. Yeah, I, I wish I, I, we need to do a better job of running sort of the demographics on this because I, um, those are hard questions to ask. I would say the average kid um, coming from a strong evangelical family usually has a classical education, either homeschooled or an ACCS school or something like that. Although there's 10 to 15 percent that kind of just fall out of the sky, um, you know, public school, who knows what. So um, but most of them are probably coming with a classical education of some sort. I would say there's a, um, a general academic aptitude, but not necessarily, they're not all like really exceptional elite. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, somebody who's generally capable of um, pouring through a book, reading through it pretty at a decent clip and can intelligently write a paper, they're going to do just fine at NSA. And those, those are the kinds of kids we're looking for. 
Um, I, I, I like personally, I like the kid who, um, maybe wasn't excelling in high school, but it's because he never really was pushed, never mm-hmm. really knew that this is, you know, that was my experience. My, I was a terrible student and, um, bombed out of college early on until for me, it was discovering like a deeper purpose for why I was here that suddenly made me capable of working. I think it's why for me, I've, I've only ever worked in nonprofit. Uh, I've never worked for a for-profit. For me, it's like, I'm much more interested in a job where I'm compelled by the vision. Um, and I can't just do a task because I was told to do it. I need to know why and be passionate about it. Um, that kid who hasn't had that spark lit, I like, I like getting him and, and, you know, challenging him, light him up a little bit and, and see him come alive. Um, as far as where they go, that one's even harder because it's, you know, as I was just describing, our goal is to create the generalist who could go any number of different directions. I've seen careers where I've seen our students do really well. Um, we've had a number go on to entrepreneurial work. I think that's a really good spot because they're, they're, they're not people who need a path, you know, established for them. Um, I've seen a number go on to, you know, do NSA and then do the professional graduate degree, either law or an MBA. A number have gone into finance and done quite well in finance. Um, a number in law. I see um, uh, a number of them going into media, uh, writing, selling, um, creating, filming. So we've had a number of really successful graduates in media. And then also um, in the business world, but more on the sales side, when you create people who are um, good with words and like to be just generally interested. They tend to be people who sell well. Mm-hmm. And um, so I see a lot going there. And then some into ministry, some into education. Yeah. So um, obviously there's um, a reason why an institution like NSA has to exist. Um, and that's because uh, the higher education system is largely failing uh, young yeah. people. And you you highlighted uh, in particular this this very high specialization where you know people are changing majors, ultimately getting different jobs, majoring in gender studies, you know, yeah, what, yeah. Uh, whatever. Um, uh, what what other issues do you see? Because there are a lot uh, <laughs> that 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 I can see um, that's that's kind of leading. Um, you know, young people astray or maybe even leading them away from going to, to college at all. Yeah. Well, so, you know, built into that is that question about should everybody be going to college? And mm-hmm. I think that's one that I think you have to put that on the table. I think a lot of colleges, because they attach the college degree to jobs, they want to say that the college degree is necessary for work. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that's just such a total farce. It's so clear that you don't need a degree to get a job, to get a good job, to do well in work. Mm-hmm. And so I, whenever I speak to um, prospective students, like from a recruitment perspective, I want to always put out there, maybe you don't need to go to college. I, th- mm-hmm. I think that that's a, a lie that colleges constantly tell. And, um, they, um, and parents, you know, <laughs> like speak to parents. You need to not be insecure about your children. Um, they're, they're, they're going to do okay. And I think that a lot of times parents think that if, you know, if Jimmy has, if he's a junior at, at this school in accounting, then his future is okay because he can be an accountant and, I'll, and I know what he will be and, and everything's safe. And it's like, you don't, 
you you don't know and that degree is not locking in any future for him it's not guaranteeing anything and um and i think we need to quit with this idea that the college degrees guarantee this path of safety and mm-hmm. whatnot they don't and maybe not everybody needs to be at college yeah so so that's the first thing is we need to get rid of of that i think that there's a there's a cross section of the student population for whom a degree like a, a program at NSA is really helpful. It's maybe a third of the students. It's not everybody. Um, so, so this idea that the college degree is necessary for everyone, I think that's one of the things that we need to toss and colleges need to quit um, claiming that it's the case. The other is the professionalization of the college degree. One of the, um, one of the implications of it is that when you teach somebody, if I want to teach you how to perform a certain task, Versus if I want to teach you how to read through this work, understand the argument, interact with it in a creative way and intelligent, critical way, um, that first assignment is way easier. Like if I, if I want to teach you the steps for whatever, it doesn't require deep, um, deep thinking. It requires a very surface level walk through these steps. Um, and our colleges, because they've become more oriented towards that kind of education, um, it means that our colleges have gotten significantly easier. So college degree now is not even remotely what it was 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. It's been really, really cheapened in the level of rigor and what is being asked of you at college now. Um, and that means, um, again, there's, there's just a serious waste of money because you're just getting a piece of paper that's not actually yeah. teaching you to think. And I think that that's one of the things I see across the board at colleges is um, just a cheapening of what it means to be educated they're not educating people and i i um and i it's really sad that a lot of our um christian colleges um the education is a joke the price tag enormous but the education itself is is really a joke yeah um, yeah i want to dive into that in 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 particular um i went to a, a christian university in in minnesota that i'll that i'll leave uh unnamed but people can figure it out uh and I've, I've known, you know, my wife went to, a, you know, she went to Patrick Henry College, which is a great, mm-hmm. great school. Um, she really enjoyed her time there. Um, but most of my friends, my, my social circle have come from kind of that Christian school environment. And I think there is a lot of discontent uh, with um, not just the um, student loans they've been saddled with because of it, um, but also the quality of the education they yeah. received. Um the uh you know the 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 wokeness that has started to infiltrate yep. some of these schools um what's what's your take on the christian higher education movement in general yeah i mean christian schools it's been um it's been sad i think that they've undergone a lot of this cheapening of what the education is but then you, you mentioned the wokeness that has um permeated our christian schools um and it's you know i i hate to say this but it's like um I'm a college president, but I feel like um, the primary skill that is being selected for when somebody is made a college president is that of um, being able to demonstrate compliance. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you do almost all of your time. Um, you, you, with the accreditors, you show that you comply. With the Department of Education, you show that you comply. With your donors, you show that you comply with their desires. With prospective parents, you show like. And so what happens is you, your eye is less on your own mission or vision, and it's more on fitting in and, and 
that's at the highest levels of the institutional leadership. And so these schools are basically, they're just a, um, sweet mirrors of American pop culture as it goes down the sort of down the drain. And so whatever is going on in your secular school, you can be guaranteed that most Christian schools are trying to do it as well. Um, uh, homosexual agenda is probably one of the major ones that you see that, um, you know, and, and, and there is a, there is a little bit of a, um, there's a bit of deceit that happens when parents and donors are speaking to the um, president. They're getting one picture of what's going on at the school. When the students and the faculty, they're getting a very different kind of experience. Mm -hmm. There's not a transparent revelation of the things that are actually going on campus. So a Christian school can have an entire gay pride, you know, contingency that the faculty and the students all know about, but the parents and the donors have no idea and, and don't, th you know, when we're talking with them, it's as if this was what Billy Graham built in the, you know, 50 years ago. But when you're talking with um, these people, they're getting a very, very different experience. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of duplicity, I think, in Christian higher education that where we're not delivering the faithfulness that people think they're, that we're giving. Do you think we're headed toward a, a collapse of that kind of Christian education and a, and a rising of the kind of higher education that NSA offers? Yeah. Well, one, one hopes so. Um, I would say I'm seeing a lot of those schools start to really struggle. Um, it's, it's increasingly difficult to justify um, why you like, why would you give that money that much money to go there when I could go to the secular university, get um, a better version of what you're trying to give at a cheaper price? Mm -hmm. It's um, it's going to be harder and harder for those schools to hold together. And I think we're starting to see those crumble. There's a lot of schools that are closing down. Um, whether the new schools start is a different question. I would say probably one of the most common conversations I have on any given week is somebody who calls and says, we want to start a school. I kind of say, can we figure out how to, you know, I've got, I'll head back to Moscow um, tomorrow and I've got a meeting with a crew that's flying out. They want to talk about how to start a school. And, and we'll, I, I have that conversation all the time. Unfortunately, most of them don't know what it would really take. What they, what they see is they see the crumbling and they don't want that. But, but then the thing that they propose is 80% what just crumbled. And it's mm. like, getting people who are ready to be so radical as to actually do something um, completely different. They, they like the fruit that they see at NSA, but when you say, okay, but this means these things, they tend to say, yeah, that's, we don't want to go that far. Yeah. And it's like, well, then in, in, in give it three years and either you'll be just like them or you're going to have gone under as well. Yeah. One, it's like you were saying earlier, it's a, there's a certain amount of sweat equity, right? Like a lot of people working without, a lot of glory or, or oh, shiny yeah. things for yeah. several years to get to where decades, you are now. Decades, decades. Yeah. yeah, I think I think one of the really interesting uh, trends uh, that I've been noticing in, in higher education, generally speaking, is um, kind of the drop off, particularly during COVID, um, of men attaining higher education degrees. Yeah. It's it's been predominantly women, particularly at, at Christian universities. I've seen yeah. this. Um, I think my school was like. 60 40 you know women to men when i was there and i think it's more like yeah. 65 35 now yeah yeah that's um, that's by far the the common um so yeah it, it's it's 
female dominant by a long shot. Yeah. So, uh, I kind of a two part question here. Um, why do you think that is a, and then, uh, B, what is it that NSA is training women for? And that's a bit of a leading question because, um, Santiago Pliego from the new founding podcast asked you this question and I loved your answer, and I just want people to hear it again. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I wish I could. I, I should have gone back and listened to it. I hope I can deliver on that again. Um, yeah, I mean, we're uh, we want to give a a masculine, robust education. Um, I think we're uh, our percentage. We're we're. I want to get to where we're over fifty percent men. We're probably just under, but we're very close right now. Hopefully, in the next few years, we can get that um, push that direction which is really strange because particularly for a liberal arts college, those are the ones that tend to be like almost 30, 70 or something yeah. like that. Um, getting men to see the value of a deep education is, um, is tough. I think what tends to happen is um, um, there are a lot of girls who in a classical school really love the subject and became very um, favored by the teachers told you've got the mind, whatever um, men, when their masculinity um, rears itself, tend to be institutionally hostile. Mm-hmm. Um, guys make messes in the hall, um, mess up the classroom. They're loud. They're sweaty. Um, Usually smell weird. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and um, they're um, they're not inst- they're not institutionally friendly. And so, um, when you become institutionalized, it tends to push that kind of masculinity out. So a lot of it is trying to welcome that kind of attitude. So, you know, we have a weekly meeting that's disputatio or the idea is we're going to have a debate, a lecture, something where we're going to argue. Um, and we try to put argument into the curriculum as much as possible. Um, we do have a pretty robust extra um, curricular sort of um, uh, intramural sports. So we'll do uh, rugby um, uh, basketball, try to do things that are going to kind of bring out, uh, that, that side of things. Um, but yes, we do, we give the same education that we give our men, we give to our women. Um, and I think part of that is going back to what I was saying earlier is this idea that the education, if, if you view education purely in terms of professionalism, um, like this is giving you a degree, a certificate to get a job, then if you have, I think, a faithful understanding of what a family is, then you wonder, well, why are you giving all your women these college degrees? Most Christians will say, well, it's in case our marriage doesn't work out. You know, like she's got to have a degree in case, you know, he dumps her and then she's got to get a job. And so she's got to have a degree. That's buying into this professionalization myth mm-hmm. um, that I, I, I think that we need to reject. But if you view, if you view the education as enculturation, um, then suddenly, well, absolutely, I want my daughters to receive that kind of enculturation. And so they're getting the same um, education as the men, but they do have to translate it and apply it differently. Um, so um, this, uh, you know, my wife and I have talked about this a lot. It's kind of been a big part of her ministry is writing and teaching on like what it means to be a woman where you receive this education, but you've got to convert it and do something different. So the, the, image that we always use the the ginger rogers this idea that you know somebody was um i think talking to about what amazing dancer fred astaire is and she says i have to do everything he does but i have to do it backwards and in heels mm-hmm. um i think that a a woman getting an education like this needs to know how to take it and go da- backwards and heels with it 
where um, I want my daughters to be able to, um, and I'll, I'll, I have three daughters, two of them are graduated, one's a, a junior. Um, the two that are graduated are both married and expecting uh, their first in the next uh, you know, six to eight months. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And it's, and it's really fun seeing now the fruit of their education as they give themselves to their husbands, their homes, and the families that they're building, but doing it with this rigorous education. You know, my, my oldest daughter, she graduated from NSA and then uh, went to uh, London in the Cordon Bleu School of Cooking. And wow. uh, yeah, she did a, a, a whole course in cooking there. And the reason is because of an NSA class that hmm. that inspired in her this idea, this theology of food. Uh, they read Father Capon's book and did a whole bunch of stuff. But this idea that like, there's this faith, there's this life I have, and it should show up my on my table. My table should feel like it. So she did um, that education or that uh, school of cooking in London and now is married and I think her husband is getting the fruit of the NSA yeah. education. Um, <laughs> but the idea is, it's like you're doing something um, noble with it. It's not, it's not a low, it's not a low thing to be able to be a wife and a mom to a Christian family and build that little world. Yeah. Yeah. I even see this in uh, my own wife, you know, she did, uh, I think they actually used Logos curriculum uh, in homeschool and, and they, my wife didn't grow up reformed and then went to an ACCS school and then was at PHC mm-hmm. and she is just so uniquely qualified uh, even even more so than me to like yeah. teach our children you know and 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 take care of the home like it's she received a fantastic education and it really um, really does change the way like yeah. your home your home no, operates. I, I, my job is to take the faith and and build this school that demonstrates this faith my wife needs to take um, what I give her and build a home in a way that demonstrates the faith. When people come in my home, they should know what kind of man I am and what kind of God I serve because of my wife and what she does. Mm. Yeah. And, and I don't, I think that you need an education to, to do that. Yeah. No, that's uh that's great. So uh, what is the future vision for, for NSA? Where, where are you guys headed in the next five to 10 years? And actually like wh- while we're uh, on it, where, where have you come since the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. So when I became president, we were maybe 120 to 130 students in our undergraduate. Uh, we're at 271 right now and another 60 or so in our grad school. Um, we about doubled the enrollment over the last four years. Um, COVID was a good moment for us. You know, mm-hmm. all the schools broke one way. So we, there was this big space, gaping space that nobody would step into. So we broke in that direction and we've seen a lot of fruit from it. Um, so we're in a growth mode and I would say over the next 10 years, we continue to grow. I would, I would like to, I think we've got another 10 years of growing and getting better and better at what we're doing. We've just, even in the last year, acquired some really all-star faculty members already had a really great team and added some great new people to it. So, you know, the, the mission and vision of NSA is to graduate leaders who shape culture under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So the idea is I want to grow that undergraduate degree with a number of, you know, right faculty, um, faithful uh, administration, and then gradu- get to the point where we're graduating classes of 100, 120 or so each time and sending them out into key culture shaping industries. And mm-hmm. so they're making a real difference in the world. So do you think that there is an open lane for um, 
other people who want to start colleges that want to do it the right way, the yeah. kinds of ways that you guys have done it. Do you think we're going to see a, a, a big growth of that in the coming years? I sure hope so. I think NSA has another five to 10 years of us just growing to where we need to be. Um, so I don't know that we'll be very involved in helping elsewhere other than letting people see what we do and encouraging them. Um, you know, Patrick Henry was a really good example of somebody who, you know, they had a vision, they started it, they've stayed true to it and they're delivering an excellent product. Not many other people have been able to pull that off. Um, I think you need significant funding and significant experience in your leadership and a network to market to. And I think a lot of people feel like to start a school would be the same as starting their K to 12 classical school. It's nothing like that. It's a totally different um, ball game. And I, and, I, and I think people will think, well, I know a guy with a master's so he could teach. It's like, <laughs> it actually takes a lot more than just a master's degree to be a college professor. Maybe one out of a hundred people with masters can actually teach and do a good job of it. Um, so I, I'm hopeful that we'll see more and I would love it if we would, could get to a place where we could help, but we really need to build NSA first. Pacific Northwest doesn't have anything like that. I mean, I think you do see, um, you got Patrick Henry, you've got Hillsdale, you've got Grove City, you've got some other schools, you know, good Christian, conservative, liberal arts colleges, but there's nothing in the Pacific Northwest like what we're doing. So I want to get us up to critical mass and going, and then we'd love to help other schools start. Yeah. Well, that's all very great. We're very excited about um, NSA and, and everything you're doing. Uh, where can people find out more about about you, about NSA, uh, and find a way to get involved? Yeah, just go to the NSA webpage, nsa.edu. Um, particularly if you go there and um, sign up for our um, newsletter, you get a, a regular newsletter about what's going on at NSA. That's a good way to be informed. But nsa.edu, it's all right there. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Moment of Truth. Please make sure to uh, rate this podcast five stars if you haven't already. Uh, feel free to give us a very nice written review. Talk about our uh, great appearance, how awesome the show is, uh, really, really whatever you'd like. Um, make sure also to go out to, to AmericanMoment.org to see all the kinds of things that we are doing. You can find the backlog of this podcast, all of our programs, events, why we believe you can find a way uh, to, to get involved. Um, and uh, you can also find more information about Dr. Merkel and New St. Andrews College at nsa.edu. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you again next week. Moment of Truth is an American Moment Studios production filmed at the Conservative Partnership Center. Our podcast is produced and edited by Jake Mercier and Jared Cummings. Our intro music is A Minor Struggle by Ryan Serenich. Don't forget to like and subscribe on all platforms, and you can go to AmericanMoment.org to learn more. Mm-hmm.